Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Jobs jump, U.S. firms add workers as Democrats push forward on financial aid. Kuaisho quids in. China's latest tech IPO sees triple-digit gains. Restrictions reversed. Robin Hood removes limits on GameStop trading and... Please take a step back and look into the camera. Your current body temperature is 100.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Do you have a fever? Android assistance, the robots helping fight the COVID pandemic. It's Friday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move as we move towards a special Super Bowl weekend here in the States. But in the meantime, the Wall Street buzz is all about the three Bs, Biden, Bezos and Brady. Tampa Bay quarterback Tom Brady and whether he manages his seventh Super Bowl win. More on the business of the Super Sunday later on in the show. But first, a super important Friday for economic data here too. Our very first look at the U.S. jobs market picture for 2021. And the United States added 49,000 jobs net last month. It's actually a weaker number than expected, but at least it's a positive number. We added jobs. The bad news is if you look at December and November's numbers, they were actually revised lower by a combined 159,000 jobs. So the picture over the winter was weak. We'll discuss all the details shortly. In the meantime, US futures have remained higher even with this news. Four tenths of a percent, as you can see, the Nasdaq and the S&P beginning the session at record highs. Remember, weak jobs growth makes the case for fresh US economic aid stronger. Reddit stocks a bit higher pre-market too, but they were very red yesterday. GameStop now down some 80% this week, trading at Robinhood, as I mentioned, removing restrictions on trading of some of its most popular names. So with the speculative sizzle subdued, at least for now, we focus once again on vaccine rollouts and reopenings. Johnson & Johnson has requested emergency use authorization for its one-dose vaccine in the United States. And Germany has said the EU is in final negotiations with its Novavax offering. Here's the global picture. Lots of optimism in Italy that Mario Draghi will manage to form a government. Bond yields seeing their biggest weekly fall there, in fact, since October of last year. And in Asia, Japanese car makers racing ahead, tied to rumours of a potential tie-up there with Apple to make electric cars. That'll be a driver for another day. For now, let's motor ahead and get the details on those U.S. jobs numbers. John Howard is live in Washington for us. John, good news that net we added jobs, even if it was a weaker number than expected. The bad news, as I mentioned, those revisions lower for November and December, the picture weaker, at least coming into 21, than we thought. Well, we're still down more than 10 million jobs from our peak in uh, 2020, uh, which is part of the argument that President Biden is making for this uh, COVID relief plan to try to bridge people um, who have been dislocated from the labor market. Remember, we had more than 770,000 people filing first-time unemployment claims this week, 46th consecutive week of uh, a rate of claims higher than in any previous week before the pandemic. So it's a weak labor market. 
uh, we've got a lot of people uh, suffering, and uh, with the vote on the Senate last night to approve a budget resolution, uh, President Biden and fellow Democrats are racing ahead to try to uh, pass that COVID relief plan that both bridges people to try to get to the other side, but also uh, accelerates funding for vaccinations and other uh, means of getting this pandemic under control, which is the most important single thing that uh, anybody can do to get this economy uh, roaring again. Hours and hours of debate last night. Can you give us any sense of perhaps timing and again, perhaps what President Biden will say today? Because to your point, vaccination, speeding up this process, reopenings, all critical to bringing those vital jobs back. And for the ones, those people that have been out of work for a long time now, more than 27 weeks, four million of them, um, it's critical to get them back into the jobs market as soon as possible. I would expect Joe Biden to make the case today for prompt action by Congress Mm. to try to get this COVID relief plan in place before mid-March when those extended unemployment benefits expire under the deal that was passed by Congress, signed by President Trump uh, uh, before he left office in uh, December. Uh, so uh, uh, the both chambers of Congress have now passed a budget resolution that allows this process in which uh, they don't have to uh, extend negotiations with Republicans. They can do it with Democratic votes only. Uh, And it appears as if they've gotten themselves in a posture where even this impeachment trial next week is not likely to be much more than a speed bump before getting passage of this bill. The House is going to move ahead uh, to prepare legislation under that reconciliation procedure to implement this package. Senate committees will be uh, doing work. It's certainly at the staff level while senators are in that impeachment trial. Uh, But this thing is moving pretty rapidly. Yeah, mid-March. That's your deadline. (laughs) John Howard, thank you so much for that. You bet. All right, to Hong Kong now, where a whopping public debut took place for TikTok competitor Kwaisho. The short video app stopped jumping over 160% wowzers on its first day of trade. Selena Wang joins us now with more. Selena, thanks to a very talented producer of mine, uh, Inwook, Fast Hands, I believe, is the, uh, the direct translation. But just talk us through the debut and what this actually is. Well, Julia, eye-popping numbers indeed. One early investor called this an incredible outcome. This is the biggest IPO since the pandemic began, raising more than $5 billion, shares jumping more than 160%. This company is backed by Tencent. It runs a live streaming and short video app. Its platforms have more than 300 million daily active users. Like similar apps in China, a key revenue driver is users buying virtual gifts for their favorite live streamers. It also makes money from online advertising, as well as more recent recently e-commerce and online games. Now, the company does face stiff competition from ByteDance's Douyin, which is the Chinese version of TikTok. And it actually has around twice as many daily active users as Kwaiso. But the engagement numbers for Kwaiso are pretty impressive. On average, users spend more than 80 minutes on the app a day, opening it 10 times a day. I spoke to one of the earliest investors in this company, Hurst Lin. He's a general partner at DCM Ventures. The firm says that it is going to generate a return of around 600 times its original investment. So take a listen here to what he had to say about what originally attracted him to this company. I noticed that the community elements of Quest uh, was very, very strong relative to uh, all the other uh, short video programs or uh, apps at the time that the, uh, the users uh, actually were very sticky to one another. 
Julie, speaking about that community element, what's really interesting in the IPO prospectus is that about a quarter of its nearly 770 million monthly active users are creators themselves. Julia? Wow. That is a fascinating statistic. I was just poring over all the numbers here. So uh, just in terms of valuation, I think this gives them around $160 billion. If I were ByteDance looking at the asset that I have in TikTok, and admittedly, it's been a, a ropey year, quite frankly, with the potential ban in the United States, they last raised money, giving them a valuation at $180 billion. If I was sitting on an asset like TikTok, I'd be like, hmm, time perhaps to take that to market. What do we think, Selena? <laughs> Well, Julia, I think you were exactly right. This is certainly a very encouraging sign for ByteDance. Experts say it should encourage them to go public as investors gain more insights into what the Chinese short video app industry is going to be like. And not just for ByteDance, but for other assets, it shows that this is actually a good time. There was massive demand for this IPO. It was heavily oversubscribed, a lot of retail and institutional investor interest. In fact, more than 1.4 million individual investors had placed orders for this offering. So really great timing overall, despite being in the middle of a pandemic. But of course, there are also risks to investing in these red hot Chinese tech stocks. This IPO does come at a time when regulators in China are putting increasing scrutiny on tech giants and Chinese regulators have also placed further restrictions on virtual gifting in China. Julia? I was just looking, thinking about the population of Hong Kong. That's effectively one in five people in Hong Kong were... Um, looking to invest in this stock. That is the definition of red hot. Selena Wang, also a great addition, red hot addition in green to our show today. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Selena Wang there. All right, shares of GameStop, speaking of uh, red and red hot. Higher pre-market as trading app Robinhood lifts restrictions on purchases. This after GameStop shares fell again yesterday, losing more than 40%. Paula Monica, joins us now with the latest poll. I have to say my eyes are watering when I look at that stock chart and I recall our conversations over the last week and a half. Wowzers. Yeah, I think uh, that's pretty much uh, the way to sum it up, Julia. Wowzers indeed, both with GameStop and AMC, these shares having meteoric rises and dramatic, uh, almost Icarus-like falls from the sun in the past few days. But now you have Robinhood finally letting investors come back in and buy these stocks, which had been a big problem. Yes, Robinhood had some issues with regards to liquidity and uh, clearing you know, trades because of all the pressure from people wanting to buy this stock. But Robinhood got into a lot of hot water uh, from a reputational standpoint because they still allowed people to close out their positions. So whether or not this was true or not, the perception is that Robinhood was helping some of the hedge funds try and get out of money losing short positions while the average investor that wanted to still buy GameStop and AMC was prohibited from doing so. And then once they were allowed to do so, they were only able to buy a couple of shares here or there. Finally, those restrictions are off. It'll be interesting to see just how much they rebound today. They are up a little bit pre-market, but they're not surging. Yeah. And, and Robinhood, obviously, and the hedge funds involved all denying 
any involvement, any communication about this, of course, too. And I do believe my understanding is the margins were already being lifted in, I think, Jan 21st, as far as Robin Hood was concerned, so that the warning signs, perhaps, of the heating up of the interest in this stock was... Um, was perhaps alluded to even before a lot of these traders got involved. And that's the problem. That's where you start to lose some real money as this comes down so quickly. Paul, do you think these Reddit investors try to gain with other stocks? Or do you think this was, um, for many of them, painful enough that they perhaps don't try this again? I'm not so sure. I mean, you have uh, you know Mark Cuban urging the Reddit community to maybe come back in and try and... Uh, you know, buy some of these shares to, uh, you know, show again the, the hedge funds who's boss, so so to speak. And there are several other companies, BlackBerry, Nokia, that have also been benefiting from the Reddit surge, uh, you know, conflicting reports about how much silver and silver miners, is that really the WSB community or is that hedge funds themselves trying to push silver prices up? I think there are a lot of momentum trades that are out there beyond GameStop and AMC. And if anything, this has proven that this market is one where investors, there are some investors out there that don't want to just boringly buy index ETFs that have the same six stocks that everyone else owns. There are a lot of other stocks out there and some interesting short-term and long-term trading opportunities. I have to say there was nothing boring, quite frankly, about the last 10 days, the exact opposite, quite frankly. And I love that you brought Mark Cuban up because he said I wasn't invested, but hold if you can afford to. He can no afford to because he's no a billionaire words. that owns the Dallas yep. Mavericks. No, yeah. Not everyone is as wealthy as Mark Cuban. No words. Yes. Paula Monica, thank you so much for that. All right. These are the stories making headlines around the world. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny was back in Moscow in a courtroom today, this time pleading not guilty to charges that he defamed a World War II veteran. Navalny accused prosecutors of pursuing fabricated, quote, cases against him, saying truth is on his side. Frederick Pleitgen is live in Moscow. Frederick, you know, when I read this headline, I, I thought maybe I was reading some form of fake news, and I wasn't. Uh, I'm incredulous. Talk to me about what happened today, no. please. No, you're absolutely right. You didn't. And that's exactly what this trial is about. And Alexei Navalny still is inside that courtroom. And he is the one who said, once again, he believes that it's a sham trial. He believes that this trial is politicized. His lawyers also said exactly the same things. They say the charges are vague. The charges are arbitrary. They believe this entire case is illegal. Nevertheless, this trial has been going on. And essentially, uh, what the prosecutor is saying is that Alexei Navalny uh, allegedly defamed a 94, now 94-year-old World War II veteran when Alexei Navalny commented on a video that this veteran was in praising changes in the Constitution that were pushed through by Vladimir Putin uh, last year. And of course, those changes allow Vladimir Putin to stay in power in this country a lot longer. Essentially, Alexei Navalny called the people who were in that video uh, political hacks or political lackeys. And that's why he's now being charged with defamation uh, uh, for allegedly defaming this 94-year-old uh, World War II veteran. Alexei Navalny went completely on the offensive in this trial. I was reading some of the transcripts of what he said, and it, it really is remarkable. He said that he believed that this 94-year-old did not realize that he was actually charging uh, or, or, or putting in this charge against Alexei Navalny. He believed that someone else was speaking for the World War II veteran. The World War II veteran was actually on a, a video link and was supposed to read a 20-page a dossier, which obviously he couldn't do. They had to call an ambulance in uh, to give this man medical attention. Alexei Navalny said that he believed that this man should never have been 
uh, made to go through this trial in the first place. So some of the things that are going on in this trial absolutely seem to be very remarkable. There are still witnesses being heard right now. And if Alexei Navalny is convicted in this, he could face another major uh, fine uh, for, this, uh, for this defamation. Um, and of course, Julia, it's the second time that he's been on trial just this week here in Moscow. On Tuesday, he was um, sentenced to jail for at least uh, two and a half years when a suspended sentence that he had for a fraud case from 2014, which he also said was politicized, um, uh, when that was turned into a real jail sentence. And all this, of course we always have to point out, comes just uh, less than a day after President Biden came out and called on Russia uh, to treat Alexei Navalny fairly, saying that the way he was being treated was politicized here in this country. The Kremlin, of course, as, as we've been talking about, saying they're going to have none of that. Julia? Fred, Fred, you know, supporters of Navalny will look at this and say they're making an example of him for coming back, that he should have stayed in exile. This is the message that the Russian government wants to send, a message to anyone else perhaps who wants to try this. This is what supporters of Navalny will be saying. Fred, what are ordinary Russians quietly saying about what's going on here? Yeah, I think it's a really divisive issue in, in, in Russian society. And I think that you do see some of the fissures also in, in Russian society as well. I do think that there's folks in the older generation who don't approve of what Alexei Navalny is doing, who don't approve of him uh, of him coming back. But there certainly are many, many people in the younger generation uh, who do believe that Alexei Navalny, while they may not agree with him politically, uh, they do believe that he is someone that they now want to rally around. And we have seen that at some of the demonstrations that have been going on over the past couple of weeks where you had especially young people come out and say they believe that this is their time to speak out and this is their time uh, to call for uh, to call for political change here in this country. That doesn't mean that he's necessarily very popular uh, among uh, many people, but it certainly means that a lot of people do respect very much the fact that after he's been poisoned by Novichok that he did come back to this country, that he continues to take a stand despite the fact that he's in prison and just the fact that many people here believe that he's being treated very unfairly by the authorities. So this is certainly something that uh, you know can be a bit of a divisive issue, but certainly one that has galvanized uh, at least the young or, or large parts of the younger generation here in this country, Julia. Yeah, incredible events. Fred, great to have you with us. Fred Plykin there in Moscow. All right, so to come on First Move, Robo Rescue. I speak to the CEO of a company putting robots on the front lines of medical care. And a mix of old and new for Super Bowl Sunday. Old hand Tom Brady on the field for the 10th time with a lineup of rookies on the advertising roster. We've got all the details next. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York, where U.S. stocks remain higher pre-market. Investors shrugging off a weaker-than-expected read on U.S. payrolls last month. A mere 49,000 jobs added, with fresh job losses in retail as well as leisure and in hospitality. Today's numbers making the case perhaps for robust stimulus, stronger stimulus hopes have powered the S&P and the Nasdaq to record highs this week. All the majors now solidly in the green for the year. U.S. bond yields are pushing higher too, with 10-year yields nearing their highest levels in 11 months. The yield curve, which plots the difference between short and longer term interest rates, is at its steepest in more than five years. On hopes that new stimulus will fuel economic growth, it also means a lot more borrowing. Joining us now is Jason Furman, professor at Harvard University. He served as chairman of the Council of Economic Advisers in the Obama administration. Jason, great to have you on the show with us. What do you make of today's numbers very quickly? 
basically the economy is stalled out in a very deep hole, 12 million jobs short of where we want to be, barely any added. Yes, the unemployment rate fell, but you also saw people exiting the labor force. A lot of people were talking about your concern about the ossification of uh, the jobs market too. Just talk us through this because I looked at the numbers here. Now more than 4 million people who've been out of work for 27 weeks or longer. Really tough to get them back into the workforce at any point. Yeah, the labor market progress we made over the last year from our low in April was the low hanging fruit. It was people returning from temporary layoff. But now you have a lot of people that have permanently lost their job. You have those millions of long-term unemployed. Even in January, all the job gains represented people coming off of temporary layoff. The harder thing is when you permanently lost your job um, to find a new, new one. I think we'll need a lot of demand plus controlling the virus to make that happen. Yeah, which is why getting vaccines out there people wearing masks. We know the story. We've talked about it many times here is so critical to getting us back to some sense of of normality here. You've said we could see a three and a half percent unemployment rate in two years time. It's also possible in six to nine months. Wow. And in what circumstances? Yeah. I mean, the Biden administration is proposing an extraordinary amount of stimulus. They've clearly made the calculus that they would rather err on the side of too large than too small. It is enough that could get our unemployment rate back to three and a half percent by the end of the year, just in terms of the amount of demand. I'm just not sure. And this is an open question as to whether labor markets can move that quickly. Can people find jobs that quickly? Um, There'll be there'll be the demand there for it. um, But can markets just move that quickly? I don't know. No one knows. Yeah, you mean as in getting an individual that wants a job into a job, quite frankly, it's that matching process and the frictions of that, quite frankly, that will will create a delay. Massive. It is massive stimulus. It's crazy amounts of money. I often say so is COVID and we just have to sort of get over that sizable amount of money that we're talking about. Interesting to see former Treasury Secretary to uh, Bill Quillington and obviously advisor to the Obama administration, uh, Mr. Summers, suggesting that there are huge risks attached to this size stimulus. One, inflation, the concerns for stability, financial stability and what it means for the US dollar. But he also said, look, we have huge inequalities in this economy that need tackling longer term issues. And how can you go about spending 15 percent of GDP on short term issues and not prepare and invest for the future? Jason, your thoughts on his criticism? Right. Right. Well, first of all, financial markets have predictions of inflation. You can read it in um, the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. They're predicting inflation that is below the Fed's average inflation target. So, you know, anything could happen on inflation. That's not my biggest worry. I certainly think we'd need, in some sense, a more ambitious effort than this $1.9 trillion, a sustained multi-year effort that's structural, that makes a long-term difference. I expect you're going to see follow-up in the Build Back Better plan um, with that. And if the first part of this shrunk a bit to make room for more long-term investment, uh, I think that would be fine for the economy. So what's Larry's problem? Because he points out that 
that we didn't do enough. The, America didn't do enough after the financial crisis. But he then looks at this amount of money in addition to the money that was agreed just before Christmas and says this is so far and away, multiple times bigger than what we didn't do after the financial crisis. Um, make sure you're spending the right amount of money and you're doing it wisely. Jason, why do you think he's being so cautious now, relatively? Um, you should get him on. He can he can speak for himself. Um, you know, you can think I, I'm not speaking for him. You, know, you can think that this bill should be one point five trillion dollars instead of one point nine. And it would still be enormous. Even at one plus the nine hundred billion we did in December, it would still be enormous. So I think everyone thinks something large needs to happen. Something needs to happen soon. You can debate the exact magnitude and timing of that large debate it afterwards when the economy is recovered, perhaps, is, um, I, I, is your again, I, I, uh, You know, I, I, I focus on a sustained effort, and that's what I'd, I'd like yeah. to see coming out of them. And that's what I think we'll see next after this first bill. Yeah, I like to play devil's advocate. We don't have long, but I do want to get your take because you tweeted something really interesting, which was a whole bunch of economists giving their take. And you criticized the question, but on whether a $15 minimum wage around the country would lose low wage jobs, it would cost low wage jobs. What do you think is the answer here? I think the minimum wage should be much higher than 7.25 an hour it's been there for a long time that's way below what it is in most countries way below what the evidence justifies i don't think i would want to go to 15 dollars an hour for every state in the country four or five years from now i think you need some more regional differentiation on uh, the phase-in path to reflect local labor market conditions better yeah, we should make the point that a lot of people already earn more than the 7.25 so split the difference do you think $12? I, mean, I think you can do something. I don't know if you split the difference or if you do a longer phase in or you do something that varies from uh, state to state. I think there's a lot of different ways uh, to do this. And I suspect those all come out of the debate and discussion over the coming months. Having the discussion is important. Jason, great to have you with us. Jason Furman, professor at Harvard University and former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Great to have you with us. The market opens next. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running on Wall Street on the last trading day of what's felt like a really long week. And it's been a profitable one so far for the bulls, at least. The S&P and the Nasdaq rising to fresh records in early trading, despite that weekend than expected read on U.S. jobs last month and big downward revisions for November and December. Banks are having a particularly strong week, in fact, on hopes that eventual economic reopenings and fresh stimulus will help boost their bottom lines. Car makers should benefit from stimulus too. Ford rallying after posting market-friendly earnings. Ford also announcing that it will invest almost $30 billion in its electric and self-driving units over the next four years. Both Ford and General Motors having a strong trading year so far. Better, in fact, than even Tesla. Remember, Tesla was up over 700% though in 2020. Context, 
is key. Now, on Thursday, we promised you the CEO of Volvo Cars, but mm, the wheels fell off, so to speak. We had a few technical gremlins, but I'm pleased to say we now have him and the company smashed sales records. It was Volvo's best ever second half for profits, profits and sales. In China, sales soared over 90% in January year on year. That more than compensated for losses from earlier shutdowns. Hawkins Simonson is the CEO of Volvo Cars and he joins us now. Sir, fantastic. And I'm very glad that we managed to to do this interview. Your performance around the world, pretty spectacular in, in uh, December and in January. But talk to me specifically, please, about China. More than recovered. Yeah, they were, uh, I mean, they got the virus first. And, uh, you know, in China, they did a very firm lockdown. So they came back into a sort of more normal operations quicker than uh, we did here in Europe. So they were the first one coming back, really. And and uh, also that compensated uh, rather quickly what they lost in the first month. So that combined with uh, a continued growth on the on the car market in China. I mean, uh, we are growing uh, a bit faster than the market, but the market is very strong at uh, as it has been for many years. So China is uh, taking a bigger and bigger share of our total uh, volume. What share is it now? It's around uh, 150,000 out of uh, close to 650, uh, say 20%, something like that, and, and, uh, and growing. So it is now slightly bigger than the U.S. And U.S. was always our, our biggest market. But now China, U.S., number two, and then uh, I think it's Germany three. I mean, you've made a bold call at Volvo. You aim to have half the cars that you sell to be fully electric by 2025. I was just looking at recharge cars and what proportion they are of of your sales around the world. I believe they're now 41% of total European sales, Um, 23% of all cars sold globally. Do I have the numbers right? Uh, I think you're a bit uh, optimistic oh. in Europe, unfortunately. There goes my calculations. Year <laughs> <laughs> 30% uh, oh. last year in Europe was chargeable cars. But uh, I think you more said the forecast for this year. So uh, it will continue growing. Globally, we are close to 20. But it's a very high share. And I, I think in the business, we have the highest percentage of chargeable cars. Uh, in the premium sector, for sure. My my optimism notwithstanding. We've heard from a number of I, your I competitors. Like I'm sure you do. Um, a number of our um, of your competitors have warned about potential production delays as a result of chip shortages, the global semiconductor um, issues that we're seeing. Hawken, what can you tell me about any potential impact on on Vo- Volvo of, of these chip issues? And it's the same problem for us. I mean, yeah. it's rather difficult to have a clear visibility because there are ships in all the components. So it's not just in the first tier suppliers, as we say. It could be in second and third uh, tier. So it's very difficult to predict. So we monitor maybe three, four weeks where we are uh, quite good visibility. But there is a risk for uh, for surprises. and. Uh, and uh, we, it's, it's very difficult and, and problematic. There could be some losses, but uh, so far uh, we have uh, for the next week a rather stable outlook at least. Wow, but uh, just a week is, um, 
it's a very short window. Yeah. Uh, that's a challenge. It, it is, and and uh, yeah, and there has uh, this uh, is uh, disturbing. Uh, elements from the pandemic and it's a, uh, it's a very high demand of ships of course they're used now in all type of machines and and uh, devices so um, we have to compete with a lot of, of uh, buyers for ships so it's it's problematic but uh, yeah and different products still, too it's not just about the car industry it's um it's huge no, I, I want no, to um over, but, uh, <laughs> yeah i want to move on quickly and just talk to you very quickly about your super bowl advertising obviously a big weekend here in the united states i believe you've promised to give away lots of free cars if anyone scores a safety and i'm reading my notes because i have to admit my understanding of american football is um a work in progress but talk to me about um talk to me about this decision because some have made decisions perhaps not to advertise at the super bowl this weekend and do other things with the money why are you doing this No, we, we are also not into conventional uh, advertisement, but uh, we have, of course, now online possibilities for our customers to build their own uh, favorite uh, model of a Volvo. And uh, everybody that does that can uh, send that in and then they are part of a lottery. So if there is a safety in the game, don't ask me why, because I, I, I must say, like you, I don't know exactly what type of situation that is. But of course, a safety sounds like something that uh, is relevant for Volvo. So if that happens, there is uh, a lottery and then there is uh, there's a lot of cars that uh, the people who have done this configuration can, uh, can gain a win. So I think it's about... Uh, 40, 50 cars, uh, it's a lot of them. So it should be very interesting to follow the game and look for a safety. But you have to, of course, build a car on volvocars.com before to contribute. Yes, and just for our viewers, I'm going to leave them to Google safety and try and work it out for themselves. But you do score two points, and I do believe there's been nine safety scored in Super Bowls. So one every 5.89 Super Bowls. So just to give people a sense of the odds here. Hawken, great to have you with us. Come back soon, please, and chat to us. Uh, Hawken Samuelson there, the CEO of Volvo Cars. Thank you. Now, from Volvo to Ford, which has a solution to a common problem these days, seeing someone's lips move when they talk. This is Ford's new clear respirator mask. The company expects it to work just as well as the N95, and it'll obviously help those who lip read too. An executive said one of the things that's missing during the pandemic is the power of a smile. I agree with that. All right, after the break, another useful tool in the fight against the pandemic. I see that you have fever with high temperature. Let me connect you to the doctor. How are you today? I'm the hospitals in India with robots well and truly on the front line. The CEO of Invento Robotics joins us next. Welcome back to First Move. Gliding around on wheels, guided by facial recognition technology and gaining trust with a friendly voice. These robots are doing the work that humans sometimes can't during this pandemic, getting close up with COVID patients and even connecting them with loved ones via a built-in tablet. As the CEO says, these robots are bringing humanity to hospitals. Balaji Vishwanathan heads up India's Inventor Robotics and he joins us now. 
Balaji, fantastic to have you on the show. Just explain what these robots are capable of, because when I was watching them online and reading about it, I was totally blown away. Thanks, Julia. Good morning to you. These robots are uh, companion robots and they, they work as medical assistants in a couple of environments. The goal is to be able to uh, provide healthcare access in multiple locations and reduce the risk that the many of the medical workers face. So these robots converse with the patients. We have a lot of conversation intelligence in the robot and it, it speaks with the entire body, including its eyes and, uh, and the body. And then it uh, then it has multiple diagnostic equipments on it, including stethoscope and uh, pulse oximeters, thermometers, to help the remote physician do a much better diagnosis. We call it as an avatar for the uh, physicians. Wow. So these robots can actually check vital signs. I mean, we're just showing a, an example here of someone perhaps entering a hospital. So if you have a patient that's got COVID, just even just doing that initial screen with a patient protects the healthcare workers. Absolutely. Mm, it's fascinating. Okay, talk to me about the robot Mitra, because I believe Mitra effectively uh, roams free and recognizes doctors and recognizes patients using facial recognition technology. Absolutely. So it, it uh, asks for permission uh, to take a picture and then it. Uh, it uh, recognizes the patient, collects that information, including uh, insurance information and so on. And then it uh, it then asks them a series of questions. So let's say they are, they're complaining of, uh, like let's say, a headache and a throat pain. They'll be asking them a series of questions to identify uh, what could be the potential uh, doctor we, could, we should connect to. And then it also uh, uses its vitals collection and pushes them all into an electronic health record system for the physician to remotely see the patient and then make a call whether they should bring the patient in or or give the uh, give the prescription right there so that's a, that's a key portion of uh, these robots and mitra means companion um, so it's a it's a great yes. companion in that sense what are the doctors in the in the hospitals way or using these saying and and what do the patients say because it takes some getting used to, surely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and both of them, uh, it, it, it takes uh, some getting used to. For for uh, many patients, it is uh, like, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, it's a, it's a very, very different uh, uh, thing from what they have been used to, uh, like, you know, visiting decades uh, of, of a hospital. So, so some patients, they have a initial intimidation thing, so that it takes some time to get used to. While others, they actually uh, like forget that they are in a hospital. They actually cheer up and and start getting into deeper conversation with the with the hospital. So it, it uh, so it the the perception is 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 quite wide, and we are trying to uh, make it uh, more and more easier for those who feel uh, intimidated because of it's a new technology to to get uh, uh, more acclimatized to the robot. And physician yes. side also. So again, they are also trying to figure out how do we better use it. Because it's a brand new technology for most physicians, so in in both sense, it takes some some uh, getting used to, uh, and that's true for any technology. I'm sure it's not long before the selfies uh, get started start to be taken. Um, talk to me about data privacy, because one of the things that struck me there as you were talking, and as this data is being collected and fed through to various systems, how do you protect people's data? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Very, very important uh, question. Yeah. And uh, we are HIPAA compliant and we go through multiple rigorous standards that the U.S. Uh, and, and various governments uh, set. So these data are securely collected and the, and the robot also asks for permission before it does anything, including facial recognition and tells them what it is going to do. And this data is securely used only for the uh, hospital purposes and, and, and uh, uh, nothing else. And, and these live in a server uh, encrypted. And so that um, there is there is very little chance of it getting uh, misused anywhere because it it uh, the whole thing uh, uh, lies on trust and uh, and and this thing from the patient. So of course privacy has been one of the key things that we have been working on. Talk to me about cost too. What does a Mitra cost, and how quickly does it take to build one? Um, so the cost varies uh, uh, from. Uh, like depending on the volumes and and so on um so it, it can be somewhere in the range of uh, 700 dollars a month uh, to about a thousand dollars a month is a as a typical we call it as a robot as a service so these robot workers are are hired by hospitals uh in in that sense and um so we are kind of like slowly ramping up our production at this point it takes about three days to make a mitra um we are trying to cut down the time even more and trying to get into economies of scale this year Wow. So it, robot as a service, you rent a robot. So you just pay the 700 to $1,000 a month. Or do you have to pay a cost up front as well? Absolutely. It's about a $3,000 up front mm. cost for setup and so on. So it, it works like hiring a, a new worker to your team. So this Mitra is, is a part of a team of medical assistants and nurses. And very quickly, how much interest are you getting? I'm sure it was tough to sell to the healthcare sector initially, and now I'm sure you're being overwhelmed. What kind of interest are you seeing? And obviously you're doing Absolutely. it in India, but are you hearing from elsewhere in the world too? Absolutely. And uh, in fact, we could not make it fast enough. Right now we are selling in five countries, including Australia, Singapore, and and uh, uh, in UAE. And before the pandemic, um, while the physicians and hospitals recognize the problem, uh, but they were not sure um, how much the patients would accept. So, so the, it, it was going a bit slower, uh, primarily because they were worried about patients' perception. But after the pandemic hit, uh, patients were actually more okay dealing with many of these, uh, the same because it cuts down their wait time and also gives them a quick access. So patients were getting more okay, and that means uh, the hospitals were also getting on board uh, quite, uh, quite quickly. Fantastic. Balaji, great to have you on the show. Keep us up to date with progress. The CEO of Inventor Robotics there. Thank you for your work. You're watching First Move. Stay with us. It's almost Super Bowl Sunday, which is traditionally a super spend Sunday for big brands. But this year, it's rookie advertisers who are stealing the limelight. Brian Stelter joins us on this. Brian, great to have you with us. Not sure how I'm feeling about this one. Robin Hood is in. Coca-Cola's out. What a week for that them. That is right. <laughs> and this Robin Hood ad was recorded before all the recent drama. Uh, it was already in the can, but it is making a pitch telling everybody, you, you don't have to become an investor. You were born an investor. So Robin Hood is making a big play during this Super Bowl. But as you mentioned, big brands like Coca-Cola, the ones we associate with Super Bowl advertising, they are sitting this game out. Some major car uh, manufacturers, major Hollywood studios also sitting out the game. In the case of the Hollywood studios, it makes a lot of sense. 
they don't have movies they can guarantee will be in the theaters in a month. And so they are sitting on the sidelines for this Super Bowl. It's going to be a weird Super Bowl in lots of ways, but hopefully also a uniting one. Normally in the United States, this gets about 100 million viewers, by far the biggest TV event of the year. We will see if the ratings are a little higher or lower than usual because there shouldn't be big parties and gatherings. What about a little bit of a deflation, perhaps, in the price, the eye-watering price, quite frankly, of a 30-second ad? Right. Five, right, $5.5 million. million. <laughs> you know, this goes up every year, even though the ratings don't go up every year. This year, it's CBS's turn to raise the price. Uh, there are all sorts of things they throw in there for that $5.5 million, though, for example, earlier spots earlier in the day. And there are also some other kind of pandemic-related sponsors that I think are really interesting. miracle Grow, for example, you know, running an ad because there's been so many people uh, during this pandemic uh, gardening at home for the first time. So we're going to see those sorts of spots. This is Scott's Miracle Grow with an ad featuring Martha Stewart. Uh, so, so that's an example of an ad that probably wouldn't have made a lot of sense this time last year, Julia, but now fits in perfectly. Now it's wholesome. A bit of trivia here. Do you know what the cost of a commercial on the first ever Super Bowl was, according to SuperBowlAds.com? <laughs> I do not, but I would guess $100,000. Good guess, my friend. It was $37,500. But, you know, considering when we're talking about five and a half million, I think that's um, a pretty good guess. (laughs) Wow. I know I'm terrible, aren't I? I'm such a geek. But look, I think it makes sense on a certain level. If you're Uber, if you're Chipotle, if you're DoorDash, and we're talking about you before the game, maybe we're talking about you after the game, there is a certain amount of logic. Look, I could see myself getting talked into a $5.5 million ad someday. (laughs) <laughs> I hope I have the money to spend on an ad one day. Nice. Brian Stelter. My money's with you, my friend. Brian Stelter, thank you very much. Enjoy the Super Bowl. All right, that's it for the show. I'm Julia Chasley. You've been watching First Moves. Stay safe and have a great weekend. And we'll see you Monday. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.